Well, good morning. Church, it is great to see you. It's great being back. Absolutely. Um, man, I have really missed you. It feels like it's been 100 years. Amen. You guys know what I'm saying to that? Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, I want to welcome everybody that's watching online. I know uh, a lot of people in our church have made the decision that they're going to be staying home. Um, and so we want to welcome you all that are watching. And uh, we look forward to seeing you when you make your return back to campus. I want to tell you that today we are beginning a new series of messages. And I'm calling the series Friend Request. And what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, church, is we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about relationships. We're going to be really looking at um, what it means to love one another, to love the people in our lives. And before we look at, the, look at the scripture, I want to begin by asking you a question. How many of you, and I want to see a show of hands, how many of you have ever been unfriended on social media? Raise your hands if you've ever been unfriended on social media. Okay, yeah, a few of us have had, few of us have had that experience before. I was reading about a Burger King ad campaign. This was back in 2009. And they basically said, if you will unfriend 10 of your friends on Facebook, then we will send you a coupon for a free hamburger, a free Whopper, okay? And so the thought process behind it was, well, uh, Burger King, as soon as you unfriended that friend, Burger King would contact that friend and say, you've been unfriended for a free hamburger. These hamburgers must be really delicious. You know, that was kind of the thought process behind it. Well, the, the interesting thing was it worked a little too well. And so in that first week alone, like 240,000 people were unfriended. And then, and then Burger King had to send out coupons for like 24,000 free Whoppers just, just in the first week alone. And so uh, ownership made the decision that week to discontinue the ad because they couldn't make a profit and keep that pace. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Now, here's the question that I have for you that I want to just kind of start with today. Would you give up a friend for a free hamburger? Would you do that? All right. I heard somebody say, no, that's really good. So um, here's, the, here's another way of really asking it. How valuable are friendships to you? How valuable are friendships to you? Now, church, it's a little bit of a trick question. And the reason why it's a trick question is because the meaning of the word friendship has really changed over the last 10 to 15 years in our society. And I'll tell you why. Because just because you have a thousand Facebook friends that can like a post that you've made or you know, view your Facebook profile, it doesn't mean you have a thousand real friends in your life. Does that make sense? And what's interesting is we've never lived in a time where, where we've been more connected you know, from a technological standpoint. But social scientists say we've never been more lonely than we are today. In fact, social scientists say that we're facing an epidemic, which is an interesting word. Uh, we're facing an epidemic of loneliness in our culture today. And I think part of the problem is, is we've, we've really settled for online friendships rather than investing in real friendships. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to look at a real friendship from Scripture. Because it's amazing that the Word of God speaks directly to this issue. Because it's the heart of God for us to invest and have true friends in our life. So if you, uh, 
If you have a Bible on you, you can just turn to 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to read a couple of passages um, in just a moment. But first, before I do that, let me just say this. Because this is, this is, I think, one of the most important series we're going to do all year. And the reason why is this. Because if you show me your friends, I will show you your future. If you show me who you're spending time with, I can show you the direction that your life is going. That's how important your friends are. In fact, let me share, let me share with you Proverbs 13, 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll just, I'll just show it to you real fast. But the writer of Proverbs says it this way, that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Now, I want you to notice what the writer of Proverbs is saying there. He's saying this. He's saying that if you walk with the wise, the wisdom from those wise friends is going to rub off on you and you're going you're gonna to walk in that same wisdom. And that's going to be a huge benefit to your life. But then he gives the other side and he says, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Now, as you're reading that, you kind of expect him to be real pithy. And, and to say something like, well, whoever walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools becomes foolish. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say you become foolish if you become a companion of fools. What does he say? If you become a, a companion of fools, he goes all the way to the end. You will suffer harm. So what he wants us to see is how important our friendships are. He wants us to see that our relationships determine so many things in our life, for better or for worse, depending on who we choose to have as our friends. And so that's why this series is so hugely important in our life. So here's what I want to do today. I'm, I'm not going to have you stand this morning, but I want, to, I want to show you just two small passages of Scripture, one from 1 Samuel 18 and one from 1 Samuel chapter 19. And so... You can read on, the, read on the screen behind me, but notice what uh, the writer of Samuel says. He says this, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his, and his belt. And turn over to chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. And then Samuel says this, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and I'm going to stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. Now, what I want to do today is I think this story of, of, of David and Jonathan really gives us a picture of friendship. I think what we see is we, three, we see three insights into friendship. 
All right, and I want to just kind of highlight these for you this morning. I think what we see is in, in David and Jonathan, they show why we need friendship. They show us why we need friendship. And not only that, but secondly, they give us a picture of what real friendship looks like. And then third, we see from this story where the power to be a friend really comes from. All right, so I want to talk about why we need friends, what, pick, what the picture of friendship really looks like, and then where the power to be a friend comes from. Let's look at the first one, why we need friends. Now, I'll, I'll kind of set it up this way. In order, to, in order to really understand chapter 18 and 19, you got to know what's going on in chapter 17. And if you think about it, you probably know what's going on in chapter 17. That's the story of David and Goliath. So Goliath is a security threat to the people of Israel. And so he threatens them. He's a champion soldier. He's a tremendous warrior. He's absolutely huge. And no one in Israel wants to fight him except a teenager named David. And so David volunteers to fight him and the winner takes all. So if the Israelites lose, they're going to be slaves or they're going to be completely destroyed. So there's a lot riding on this. And so as you know the rest of the story, you know that David kills Goliath. And I mean, word of this went viral all throughout uh, the countryside in Israel. People were so excited. And so people were so uh, excited and elated at the victory that David had over Goliath. They started singing songs about David. I mean, David had 110% approval rating. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so he was so popular. And so the king in Israel was a guy named Saul. And he heard all this and he was absolutely threatened by David. He thought, Saul did, that David was going to take his throne away from him. So immediately Saul began to plot to have David, to have David killed. Now, the other interesting twist in the story is this. Saul's son is Jonathan. Jonathan is the heir to the throne. He's the prince. Jonathan happens to be best friends with David. And so as soon as Jonathan hears that, you know, that Saul is trying to kill David, he tells, he, he tells David. In fact, let me show it to you. This is in chapter 19. Look at verse 2 with me. And so Samuel tells us this. Jonathan told David, my Saul, my father, seeks to kill you, therefore be on your guard. Now, what he's telling them is this. Look, David, you need to be, you need to have eyes in the back of your head because my father's trying to kill you. He's trying to knock you off. In fact, what you see in chapter 18, 19, and 20 is Saul tries to kill David no less than six times. Six times. Now, what's the principle here? It's really simple. All right, the principle's is so, is so clear and, and so apparent to us. And, and it's really this. David wouldn't be alive were it not for his friendship with Jonathan. David would never be king if it were not for his friendship with Jonathan. David is the future king of Israel. David is a man after God, God's own heart. And if David needed friends, how much more do you and I need friends? That's what I think we see in this passage. We, church, another way of saying it is this. We need friends because we were made for friendship. We are image bearers of God. We were made in the very nature of God. And I, I realize that you probably haven't had six assassination attempts on your life. But here's the thing that I know, church. You can't make it without friends. You can't. 
you can't make it without godly friends in your life. You can't endure suffering without friends. You can't experience happiness without friends. You can't, you can't know the joy of the Lord without friends. You can't be what God wants you to be without friendship. And it's the reason why is because we were made for friendship. We were made in the very image of God. Think about it this way, church. Friendship was never created. Friendship has existed for all of eternity because friendship is at the very heart of the character of God. Consider this. God is, God is a trinity. We call it the doctrine of the trinity. And so the doctrine of the trinity says this, that God is one, but he exists in three persons. As hard as that is to understand, there's something profoundly simple about it. And it's this, that God exists within the friendship of love in himself. There is a community of love even within the very nature of God. And you and I were created to be image bearers of God, which means at the very heart of who we are, we are made for friendships. Does that make sense? And so God is a trinity. There is, there is relationship within, within the Godhead. In fact, in Genesis, you read this interesting line where God says, let us make man in our image. Isn't that interesting? And then, and then a little bit later on in Genesis, it says this, God says, it's not good for a man to be alone. Now think about that statement. Adam is in the garden. Eve hasn't been created. Adam is in the garden. There's no sin in the world. There's no death. It's a perfect place. It's a perfect paradise. And God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. What that tells us is this. Paradise is not paradise unless there's someone else in there with you. That's how made in the image of God we are. That's how made for friendship we really are. In fact, I, I love what Tim Keller says about Adam in the Genesis passage uh, where, where God says it's not good for, Adam, for man to be alone. He says this, that Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect. Most of our problems come because of our sinful choices and our imperfections. But Tim Keller says this, loneliness is the one problem you have because you were made in the image of God. Isn't that interesting? Think of it this way. Think about the most important moments of your life. Think about the happiest moments of your life. Were you alone? No way. You're always surrounded by other people in the most important and in the happiest moments of life. So what does that tell us? It tells us this, we were made for friendships. And so, and so David is alive because of his friendship with Jonathan. And so we see really why we need friendship. But David and Jonathan show us something else. They really give us a picture of what true friendship looks like. And that's what I want us to kind of just kind of look at uh, right now. There, there are three characteristics of true friendship. And the first one is this. If you're, if you're taking notes, you can kind of write this down. The first characteristic of, of a true friendship is there's common priority. There's a common priority. Let me show you this. This is in chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, notice what Samuel tells us. He says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, 
the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, what's interesting about that is they barely knew each other, church. Jonathan and David barely knew each other. How in the world are their souls already knit together? How does that even happen and they barely know each other? Well, I think the answer is this. They share a common priority. I think you and I have, have, have experienced this where we've met someone and we've had like an instant connection with them. We have an in, instant chemistry with them. And, and it's like, you know, man, I, I really like them. I want to be their friend. I want to get to know them because you realize you share something in common. You realize you share the same values, you have the same priorities, you have the same outlook, and you're like, there's just something there that clicks in that. I think that's exactly what's happened in 18.1, where their souls are just kind of instantly knit together. They share this common priority. Now, now how, do I, how do I know that? Well, I did some digging a little bit earlier in 1 Samuel in chapter 14. We get a, we get a snapshot of Jonathan. And the, the snapshot that we get of Jonathan is a little bit surprising because he really is a warrior, Jonathan is. We don't think of Jonathan as a warrior because David's victory over Goliath kind of overshadows this entire section. So it kind of steals our attention away. But Jonathan is absolutely, he, he's no weenie, you guys. He is, he's no wallflower. This guy is an absolute warrior. Because in 1 Samuel 14, we are told that Jonathan is leading a group of soldiers into battle and he encourages them in the battle. And he says, you know what? God's gonna fight for us. Nothing will hinder him. That's what Jonathan says. Now I'm reading that and I'm thinking to myself, that's very similar to what David says before he fights Goliath. Do you guys remember what David said to Goliath right before they started fighting? He said this, the battle belongs to the Lord. Now what's interesting to me is, is this, that reveals to me what their priority is. It reveals to me that as they're going in the battle, they're not paralyzed in fear, they're trusting in God. It reveals to me that they, they are seeking first the kingdom of God in their life as they, as they fight for God's people. That was their common priority. Now, let me just ask you a question, church. What is your priority? Who is your priority? This is the most important question of your life. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. What he's saying is this, if you will seek first the rule and the reign of God, then the natural flow of that is God will bless you out of the outflow of the rule and reign of God. That God will bless you with friendships, with other people who share that kingdom priority. He will bring people into your life who are pulling in the same direction as you are, who share that kingdom priority. That's what he's saying. But the flip side is true as well. That if you're not really pursuing the kingdom of God, what happens is you tend to gravitate towards other people who are not really pursuing the kingdom of God. You guys following me on that? And so that has a huge impact on your life. Because listen, show me your friends and I will show you your priorities. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. In fact, I love how Craig Rochelle says it. He says it like this, your friends are your future you. He goes on to say that you're really the summation of your five closest friends. 
So who you choose to do life with, who you choose to find community with is absolutely important. It really determines your destiny. So you better be very careful about who you're choosing to date, who you choose to marry one day, who you're choosing to do life with. Because nothing, nothing impacts you more than the people you're doing life with. Does that, does that make sense? Like, like if you went out and got stoned last night, can I just speak freely this morning? If you went out and got stoned last night, I would say chances are you did it with one or two other friends who were getting stoned along with you. And if you desire to pursue the kingdom of God and to put him first in your life, chances are you're pursuing a deeper relationship with God with one or two other friends. That's just the way God made us. That is who we are. And that's how he made us. Think of it this way. You know, all of us aspire to be something. We want to be better parents. We want to be better grandparents. We, we want to be a better student. We want to be a stronger Christian. What if that decision to be a stronger Christian, to be a better parent, to be a better steward was really a decision about who you choose your friends or who your, who your friends are gonna be. What if, what if that decision was based on your friendships? I think it is. I think it is. In fact, Craig Rochelle says it like this. He says, you are one friend away from being a better parent, a better spouse, a stronger Christian, or get this, one friend away from being a worse one. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that's the power of friendships. That's the power of a common priority. Does that make sense? And so that's what we see in the heart of David and Jonathan. But we see another part of this picture, this characteristic of true friendship. And that is this, that there is an intentionality. There should be an intentionality in our friendships. Now you're like, well, what do you mean by that, Scott? Well, here, here's, here's what I mean. Your friendships need to be intentionally cultivated. They really do. You need to be very deliberate about your friends, just as deliberate about, you know, your friendship as you are your dating life. You need to be just as deliberate about it. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Look at, look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 3. Samuel tells us, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now, what is a covenant? Well, a covenant really is a promise, as Pastor Derek mentioned earlier in the video. It's really a commitment based on trust. That's what a covenant is. And I think what you see Jonathan doing with David is saying this. He's basically saying to David, I, I really value our friendship. And I just want you to know ahead of time, come heck or high water, I got your back. I got your front. You know, if you need me at 3 a.m., you just call me because I'm going to be there for you. He's making a commitment to this friendship because I think Jonathan sees the common priority that they share. And he's saying, you know what? I want to be a friend to someone who's pursuing God first. And what I would say to us is there's some of us in this room that need to be just as deliberate. Because the truth is some of you have friends who are pulling you away from your relationship with God. They're not encouraging you. They're in fact pulling you down in your relationship with God. And you're trying to follow God, but you're just kind of compromised because you're, you're kind of valuing this friendship over your relationship with God. And I think some of us need to take some intentional steps, some deliberate steps to make some adjustment in our, in our friendships. Now, some of you push back. You say, well, aren't we supposed to have friends in our life? I mean, aren't we supposed to love everybody? And, and certainly, yes. Here's the best way that I could explain. This is how, this is how I've heard it explained 
into me. There are really three circles of relationships in your life and mine. At the very center, there's the smallest circle. We would call that uh, the circle of intimacy. In the circle of intimacy are two, three, four of your closest friends. They're the people that know everything about you, people that you really love. They love you. They got your back through, you know, through thick and thin, all of that stuff. This is your circle of intimacy. You only have room and this is the smallest circle because you don't have enough bandwidth to invest in 10 to 20 people like that. So, so each of us should have one to two, three to four friends in this circle of intimacy. But you notice the next, the middle circle is the circle of influence. Now this circle is kind of medium sized because there are people in our life that we know and we're friends with them, we care about them and they have some influence in us, but we have some influence with them. And, and so that's all good. And then the, the outer circle is the largest circle. This is the circle of care. This is the circle of concern. These are people that you know, you care about them, but they don't really know you as well as that inner circle. Does that make sense? And here's what I'm saying, church, and it's so important. Who you choose to, to allow into your circle of intimacy is one of the most important decisions you will ever make. And they need to be people who value what you value, who put ultimate priority on Jesus Christ. That's what they need to be. And I just need you. I want you to think about that and pray about that. That's what the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians is alluding to when he says this. He says, you know, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's not saying that we shouldn't be friends with with non-Christians. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, that in that circle of intimacy, you need to be yoked with people who are pulling in the same direction that you are, the direction of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? And I think that's at the heart of what, what we're talking about here. And so, so one of the most important decisions you'll make is who you allow uh, to step into this. I love Proverbs 12, 26. Uh, it says it like this. Um, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And the implication there is this, that the way of the wicked, the wicked, they don't really choose their friends carefully and it ultimately leads them astray. All right, so there you have it. You've got intentionality, you've got this common priority, and then you have this selflessness. This third characteristic of true friendship is really selflessness. Now, let me show you this. I wish we had more time to really develop this a little bit, but this is, this is so profound. Let me just show it to you. In verse four of chapter 18, Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, typically we're reading scripture like this. We're just kind of going fast and we don't really slow down to really contemplate what's happening here. But I want you to think about this church. I want you to think about the selflessness that Jonathan is demonstrating to David. Jonathan is the heir to the throne. In the robe that he's wearing, is his royal robe that designates him to the entire community of Israel. I'm second in command. I'm the next one up. And I deserve the respect that, that, brings, that comes with that office. And what you see Jonathan doing is taking this robe off and putting it on his best friend, David. He's taking his sword and he's handing the sword to David. He's entrusting himself to David. He is discerning enough, enough to know, Jonathan is, that it's the will of God that he's not going to be king. 
And Jonathan submits to that joyfully because he knows it's the will of God that David be king. And basically what he's saying, what he's saying is this. He's saying, David, I care so much about our friendship that I'm willing to give up anything for it. He's basically saying that I, you know, my relationship with you is more important than my success. Your success, even at my expense, is what I care about the most. Now, church, that is profound friendship. It is a friendship that only the Spirit of God can create. And he created it between David and Jonathan. It's a selflessness that really marks true friendship. Now, let me close with this. Where where does the power to be that kind of friend come from? Because, I mean, I think we're looking at this, we're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Where does the power to do that come from? Well, it comes from an interesting place. It comes, it comes from Jesus. Let me, let me kind of, you know, share it like this. Think of it this way. Jonathan was a tremendous friend to David. But you can be an even greater friend than Jonathan was. And the reason why is because you have a resource that Jonathan didn't have. And that resource was Jesus Christ. Jesus was with his disciples and in John 15, 13, he says this, greater love has no one than this, that, he, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends. What Jesus is saying is, I'm gonna lay down my life for you. That, that is love. That is friendship. You see, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you instantly become friends with Jesus. That's what happens. You are able to walk with him. You're able to talk with him. You're able to be close to him. You have a friendship with Jesus. And not only do you have a friendship with Jesus, but, you be, but Jesus really becomes your ultimate friend because no one loves you like Jesus. No one on earth loves you. Not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not a mom or a dad or a grandparent. No one loves you like Jesus does. That's why he's your ultimate friend. In fact, Proverbs says that like this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so if that's true, if, if, it's, if you know, the wounds of a friend are faithful, how about the wounds taken by a friend for you and for me? And that's what Jesus did. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That, that church is a love that is absolutely mind-blowing. Now, some of you push back and you say, Scott, I just don't know. How can I really know that Jesus loves me? Well, I think the answer is in the story of David and Jonathan. I mean, think about this. Jonathan, Jonathan makes a covenant with David. He makes a covenant, a commitment. And think about this. In just a minute, we're going to receive communion. And when Jesus led the disciples through that first Lord's Supper, what did he do? He held up at the cup and he said, this is the covenant in my blood. Drink in remembrance of me. Jesus is establishing a covenant with us through the bread and through the wine. And so that's exactly what Jonathan did with David. You know, as you think about it, Jonathan gave up his, his, his robe. Jesus gave up his royal robe to go on the cross. In fact, some soldiers gambled for it what the gospels tell us. 
Jonathan gave up his sword. Jesus took the sword in and it pierced his side. The gospel writers tell us that blood and water flowed. Jonathan gave up the crown for his friend David. Jesus gave up the crown so that you and I could have access to the throne. How much more do you need to be convinced of the love of God for you? And so here's, here's really the question, church. Are you friends with Jesus? Are you friends with him? And you're like, well, Scott, I'm a good person. Being a good person doesn't save you. Friendship with Jesus saves you. But I'm religious. Religion doesn't save you, church. Friendship with Jesus is what saves you. So the question is, are you friends with Jesus? Do you want to be today? And you're like, well, how do, I, how do I become friends with Jesus? It's real simple. You admit that you haven't been his friend, that you've rejected a relationship with him. You've sinned against him. And you believe that Jesus died and took your place to establish that friendship with you. And then you commit your life to Jesus being your ultimate friend. That's, that's how you become Jesus' friend. And so I just wanna ask you, have you taken that step today? Have you made that commitment in your heart? I would love to lead you in a prayer if you have. And if you wanna take that step today, would you, just, would you all just bow your heads and your hearts with me as we pray? God, we thank you for the message of the gospel and Lord, how you died to bring friendship to us to bring Jesus to us. God, thank you for that. And so Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would just move in this place today. And I know that there are those in the room, I know that there are those that are watching online today that they wanna take the step. They wanna take the step, they wanna be, they wanna be a friend to Jesus. They wanna have you, Lord, as their friend. And so if that is where you are today, just, just pray this prayer to yourself, just silent right where you are. Just, just repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm in need of your grace and forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And God, I ask that you would put your spirit in me that I may follow my ultimate friend for the rest of my life. And so God, just for every person who's prayed that prayer, I pray that you would just confirm their commitment today with your peace, with your presence, with your power, with your friendship. And so we ask, Lord, that you would just draw near to us as we draw near to you. I pray that as we move into the time of communion and the Lord's Supper, I pray that this bread and this juice would be for us, your body and your blood. God, thank you uh, for your grace and mercy. We just are thirsty today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.